This is Internet Marketing. Hello there and welcome to episode 172 of Internet Marketing, brought to you by Site Visibility at sitevisibility.com. And in today's show, Kelvin talks to Stephen Waddington about his new book, Brand Anarchy, Managing Corporate Reputation. All coming up in Internet Marketing. So, um, Stephen, you've recently released a book um, called Brand Anarchy uh, with the subtitle Managing Corporate Reputation. Can you talk us a bit about kind of how the book came about and kind of the, I suppose, the overreaching idea for the book that, that you had when you were putting it together? Yeah, so, so there was a, there's a couple of motivations. The, 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 uh, the main one was uh, came out of a, a conference I spoke at, the London Stock Exchange, about okay. two years ago. Um, it was a room full of CIO, CEOs, CIOs, and, and CMOs, you know, the most senior people yeah. from, from um, large enterprise organizations. Uh, and I was talking about risk mm. um, uh, and r- risk in terms of um, all the different forms of, of media uh, and uh, predominantly social media. Yeah. Um, and my message was, you have no control about over this. Mm. Um, what are you doing about it? Um, and um, <laughs> the response was utter, utter panic. Mm. Um, and, you know, g- given this was the 2010, yeah. um, I then set about with a uh, guy I've worked with for a long time, Steve Earl, um, invest- exploring this 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 further from a senior management point of view and putting together what became brand anarchy so brand anarchy was um exploring this issue of of predominantly reputation uh and the issue of reputation in a in a world where the media is completely fragmented and anyone can become a publisher Mm. um and how from a corporate communication point of view you deal with that um uh, yeah, that was essentially the pitch, which we took to a couple of publishers, and and Bloomsbury snapped it up, and you know the result is the book that mm-hmm. you've seen published. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of kind of to sum up the um, the the sort of biggest challenge that these kind of most senior marketers face, you know, so it's kind of there's this you talked about the kind of um, anyone's a publisher, and, and do you think that's what's really made it? most difficult for people who perhaps were very confident in their communication strategy previously to adapt to that so the the the, there's been a misperception for an awful long time since uh the 1950s uh when um the uh corporate communication took a took a a wrong turn in my view yeah um and it became we became as communicators obsessed with the media as a a means as the medium to which to which uh we reach our audiences so corporate communication became about issuing press releases to get stuff in um broadcast channels and and traditional media print and radio as we know it um and that worked to an extent, and it was a very efficient way of 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 of, of working because mm. you know you send a press release to a number of journalists uh, and they they write your story and you know that story reaches the audience that you're trying to hit. It's yeah. not a very efficient model because um, 
you know, the, 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 you're relying on um, you're relying on being able to influence the journalist appropriately to write your story, and then for them to convey the messages that you want. But essentially, that you know, that's how communication has worked up until around the turn of the. Um, 1918 sorry 1998 99 when mm. um the internet consumer internet went um, mainstream mm. uh and we started started to see the media completely fragmenting um so traditional media outlets went on to the online um and and published tried to publish their content out um directly in front of the audience to reach a broader audience and you know individuals became publishers so you saw the rise of new influencers you know and everything um you know there's a book um the um sorry the i'm just trying to remember the name of the book this is hugely influential that was written by dr sills clue train is that clue train yeah. yeah okay so so sorry turn of the century you saw clue train and everything that happened that clue train talked about you know, um, markets becoming um, completely open and transparent on the internet, mm. you know, applies as much to corporate communications and the media as it does to any other business that the internet has destroyed and mm. forced to be rebuilt. Mm. And so to, to that extent then, is that because, you know, I suppose what you're kind of making the distinction there is between kind of communications and, you know, public relations where it kind of means press rather than public relations as it were so yeah. kind of do you think that, that like as an industry pr is moving towards describing itself more as communications is that kind of coming back in vogue or so or is it still always got, the same you know so so it's it's got to be uh so, so we've got to get the the industry has been obsessed since the 1950s when we saw the rise of, of broadcast media and telly and radio uh, and that that's really where we became obsessed. The public relations industry became obsessed with media relations and really did itself an injustice before then. You know, the industry uh, is only a hundred or so years old before then. Um, you know, the way that you were was directly was directly with an audience through engagement, through events and, you know, actual communication, two way communication with you, your audience. Um, and that, you know that something went wrong in the fifties yeah, because yeah. we we became obsessed. We we saw the rise of broadcast media and and we saw, um, you know, we saw that as an opportunity to make our jobs a lot easier. When in fact, you know, it was a, in my view, it's completely wrong turn. Um, so in the book, you you get you know there's some wonderful stories, and we talk. The great thing about doing this uh, uh, is do, writing a book is you know it's a bit like blogging, but. Um, with a um a high degree of influence because mm. you can get access to incredible people um uh, and one of the people we you know we talked about and is headlined in the book is Alistair Campbell mm. the former um former director of communication for Tony Blair in Downing Street and he tells the story through the book of um how uh if he'd wanted to dominate a media agenda for for 24 or 48 hours um, he'd get a story, pitch a story into a national uh, tabloid, pitch it into uh, a broadsheet paper, and you know, pitch it to the BBC mm. in the UK. And he would guarantee then that you know, for the next forty-eight hours, you know, this is this is the back end of the nineties. Mm. That story would dominate. Um, you can't do that anymore because you know. <laughs> The world just doesn't work like that. There's so many more outlets where you have to, you know, you, people are getting their news from. Um, and um, 
the 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 news or you know the media isn't divided into nice 24 hour news yeah. um yeah. segments anymore it's constant absolutely constant so that's the, you know that that that's the story and then we we look at through the book we look at how you know corporate communications corporate communicators pr are dealing with this um you know and our our, our lesson if you like the, the thing that became obvious is you know, communicators have tried to, to, to control, corporate communicators have con- tried to control messages from an organization um, for forever. Mm. Actually, it's never really worked properly because of, um, you know, because we've used the media as an intermediary. Mm. Uh, and what's happening now with the internet, exactly as Clutrain predicted, is that, you know, we are able to have transparent conversations with audiences back and forth and you know therein is the story of social media but it means um you know there's some lessons that prs and corporate communicators have to learn um to operate in this new world and they're learning them and you know Mm. And do you think the skills that are required to make that pitch, you know, because potentially it's working in quite a different way now, rather than kind of you talked about the Alistair Campbell, you know, it's free phone calls he needs to make there, mm. free relationships he needs to build up, or, you know, I know there's more than that, but, you know, kind of there, you know, if he wants to tap into it, there's kind of a smaller number of people there. How do you feel that kind of, you know, has the art of the pitch changed and in what ways and kind of what can people do to kind of pitch when they're kind of, in, it's in a more of a, abstract way to a larger audience potentially um, than they would have done previously so, so the first thing you've got to do is listen to what your audience is is saying if you want to be part of a market that exists anywhere mm. you've got to you know tune in to to the motivations of that market and that starts with listening um and you know, before you do anything you know, explore what it is. Um, you know, the, the, what are the issues within the market that, that that you're talking about, and then align yourself with those. You know, we we hear very. You know, there's there's lots of hackneyed um, metaphors for this. You know, the 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 bloke in the pub that just starts talking nonsense, no one will listen to. But you know, the bloke who goes in and into a group and listens to what they're talking about and then engages in a contextual way with relevant, you know, and, and is relevant and interesting, you know, becomes part of the discussion. And, and, you know, that's an overused metaphor, but it's, it's, it's entirely accurate. So listening is the first thing. And then the creation of content um, around, you know, that's interesting and inspiring to the market you're, you're trying to work with. And have you got any practical advice on how to produce that? Because I think that's, you know, and it's a, a, a tra- well, traps, maybe not the right word, but it's kind of, it's, it's difficult. You hear a lot, particularly in the search community, particularly in the social media community about producing great content, but very rarely do people kind of go into too much more detail about the process of how you do that. than you know, it kind of is almost, it feels like people are paying lip service to it. If you see what I mean, that, that you very rarely hear about kind of how do you put together these great stories? How do you carry out these great survey? You know, those types of challenges. Is there any advice you've got to people on if they want, they've, they've listened, they've heard what the conversations are happening. They know they need to produce something compelling to kind of get a conversation started. Any kind of practical advice on how to come up with those ideas or how to put them together and turn them into something that, that people are going to talk about? So it's back to the age old, um, it's, it's back to the age old uh, um, skill of of storytelling and you know ultimately that's a creative process um and you know you (laughs) you've got to start you know it's the basics that you taught at at, at primary school as a kid you've got to start with the beginning and have a middle and and an end and 
um, you know, you've got to involve your your audience in that conversation in somehow. Um, I think, um, you know, so often where we, you're right, so often wh- where we go wrong is we pay lip service to to creating content that is going to inspire conversations with an audience. And, you know, so often we revert to the basics of a blog post, a piece of text, mm. Um, you know, where actually we don't really think beyond that about how we're going to create something that is shareable, that is going to motivate people to engage and respond and become part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to take that, whatever that content is, and 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 rework it, remash it, and you know, really contribute to the development of it. Um, uh, and you know, the the, the um, you know, I know you you guys are very focused on um you know the future of search and, and where search where search is going well you know it it seems to me that social signals are becoming more and more important as part of that um and you know it's critical for, for us up to up our game creatively to create content that you know is inspirational to our audience and isn't just so what mm. Um, you know, the good news for the PR guys is that, you know, I see that as an editorial process and that is the one thing that the PR guys have always understood really, really well, how to frame a story, how to contextualize it and how to engage. Mm. Um, The real challenge that corporate communications face, tying it back into brand anarchy, is this loss of control. Mm. You know, the idea that you create a piece of content, you put it out into the market um, circulate it via Twitter, via blogs, and then you know it's utterly out of your control, uh, and that's that's one of the big lessons of brand anarchy. You know, actually, you've never had control mm. really. Um, conversations have always gone on about your organisation without you necessarily knowing about it. The beautiful thing about the internet is it's utterly transparent now, and you can see and listen to those conversations if you so want to and respond and engage with them and have you got any advice for people where kind of either it develops into a crisis or they kind of had a vision of how something you know because there is whenever you're kind of producing these assets producing these you know social objects there's you know uh, an interpretation of how you think the market and your audiences might react to that but often that won't be what you expected and it might be Ah. a negative thing and i think that you know there's all kinds of examples you can see where someone's created something for a social audience and the social audience hasn't responded to it in the way that they'd hoped have you got any kind of advice on how you kind of deal with those crises have you kind of work with projects where someone perhaps has put something out there and it's just not been the response that you had anticipated yeah so you you have to be uh, utterly transparent and if you screw up um you know as inevitably will um you know that there's no hard and fast rules yet we're all learning as we go um if you do screw up admit uh admit it quickly uh, and and take steps to redress it quickly Mm. um and you'll find you're forgiven for that um, because no, you know it's human nature. No one's perfect. Um, the the companies that sorry the organisations and companies that 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 come out of um, crisis situations really quickly are the ones that um, recognise their um, mistake and address it very very quickly. Mm. Um, and you know don't try and cover it up. Don't try and delete blog posts, Facebook posts, Twitter. Um, comments don't ignore the conversation you know mm. full and frank um 
transparency and uh, you know is the is the best way you know you've got to remember that we're dealing here with uh, at the social level it's it's all about human relationships mm. um you know uh, and this is the big challenge that corporate organizations mm. face in, a, in in altering the style of their language and their communication for the social world mm. um and it's something we're going to see played out over the next decade or so that mm. that they're having to change the way they speak and, and their tone of voice. Mm. And, yeah, not a lot of organisations are getting it right uh, and mistakes are being made along the way. Do you think there's also kind of a reticence to, to make mistakes and learn from them? Because you hear about this a lot kind of in the world of startups and the kind of the minimum viable products and pivots and all that type of language that's used where by this kind of, at least in America, in the startup culture, there's an expectation that you probably won't get it right first time and that things will fail and you will learn from them, you will progress and there's no kind of downside necessarily, or at least as I get the perception that there's less of a downside to having tried something and it failed, which of course, potentially where you're looking at this kind of disruptive marketplace um, with, you know, you're never quite sure what's going to go viral what's going to take off what's going to make a connection with your audience do you think that particularly in the uk marketing and pr and communication is a reticence to to get something wrong if you know what i mean yeah i was going to say you you said critical your your critical piece of insight in that question is Mm. the uk market i think this is unusual to 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 the uk and possibly western europe where um you know there's there's and maybe parts of asia as well where failure um carries um you know an embarrassment uh, mm. uh, and you know people are very very concerned about um their personal perception um where actually you know there's great case studies uh, of, of organizations that have built their reputation and the greatest example of that is undoubtedly Dell um mm. by you know recognizing a mistake learning from it and then and then building upon it mm. Um, I, I think it is a uniquely, particularly in 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 the UK, it's an issue um, because um, you know the, the personal reputation um, is uh, is kind of ingrained within our culture, mm. um, you know, and failure is 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 deemed unacceptable and always has been. Mm. Very very different, as you say, if you go to the west coast of the state, well, anywhere in America where, um, you know, it's generally accepted, you know, that you will screw up and you learn from it and you move on from it. Mm. And, and one final question, uh, Wads, as well. You kind of, inevitably, when you're kind of, um, you know, starting to talk about the kind of perception of influence and that kind of thing, tools like Clout and Peer Index start to come into the equation. Um, and I know it's kind of, it's been probably um, a topic that you've probably inevitably discussed a bit in the past in terms of these tools that assess influence and influence in inverted commas. How do you feel about them? Is there a place for them? Is there a use for them? How do you use them? How should do you, th- do you think people should use them in their process of trying to put together a communication strategy? Okay. So I, I, there's a, a wonderful book published by a man mind that you might or might not read called The Business of Influence by Philip Shouldre. Yeah. And we cite him, Brand Anarchy, because one of the things he's done is, is very neatly map the flows of influence around an organization and, you know, taking clue training on and applying it to, to the media. I argue constantly with Philip about um, peer analytics. Mm. Um, the issue with peer analytics is it gives an absolute number to an individual's reputation with within a a network um and um when you give someone an absolute number they then take that as a badge of honor um and um use it for Mm self-promotion um now um 
what the peer analytics guys are trying to do is help brands make sense of the huge numbers that you have to deal with within a um, within a social network. So if you're a brand um, trying to have conversations with um, your marketplace and your marketplace may be thousands of consumers, you have to have some way of creating order and organization with that, within that community just because otherwise there's no way of, of, of managing it. Uh, and, and you need ways of understanding the demographics within the, that marketplace. Uh, and, you know, the peer, and, peer analytics guys are trying to make sense of all that um, uh, and help brands do that. Um, you know, it's not a as, a, as a means of understanding a market, um you know yes we use those tools mm. um as an absolute measure of an influencer or authority around an individual topic no that doesn't make sense and that, you know that's what the the some elements of the social industry got onto they've they've started to to say you know well i've got a peer index of of 43 that means i'm a god within you know a particular industry well no it doesn't you know you might have an influence around a topic but you know on another topic you just <laughs> you know where you yeah. know peer index says i'm influential about social media and pr yeah that makes sense but then it says i'm also influential about graffiti i have no idea why mm. um you know i am no banksy um <laughs> but, you know you've just got to view them yeah. through a very skeptical land i suppose it's not a perfect tool but it's it's some way to potentially bring some sense of order to what potentially mm. is a very disruptive um you know distribute you know it's kind of yeah it's not perfect and if you understand the flaws in the system it, it can help you and potentially give you a sense of uh, certainly and, and you know therein lies an important lesson for the digital industry you know people are, 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 are you know it's a very very young industry really it's it's only grown up in the last it's only started to develop in the last 10 years. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we're in a situation where it's becoming mainstream as a, as a, as a means of marketing. And as it becomes mainstream, um, you know, people are taking stronger and stronger marketing positions around their own tools and solutions in terms of, you know, um, uh, how they're positioning themselves within the market. Uh, and, and the seem we seem to have lost that, um, recognition that actually we're a very young market and we're still learning it is all right to screw up it is all right you know to 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 not get it right every time as long as you learn from it and you know you take make the appropriate lessons uh, and you know you recognize as you just said no one has absolute answers to anything mm-hmm. um Cool. Yeah, no, I think, I think, yeah, it's a, a good way to sum up there that, that there are, um, you know, lessons to be learned. There are mistakes to be made. There are opportunities to be taken advantage of, but equally accept that you're not going to know everything. And I think that's a, a one thing that I do think is a little bit of a shame about, um, the digital industry as a whole is that sometimes there's certainly a reticence to kind of everyone wants to think that they know everything and sometimes it's a little bit slow to admit okay well this is an area i'm not too knowledgeable in i need to learn about that and i think um that message is certainly um something that i've taken from the book and i think that it would be really useful for everybody great cool well really appreciate that um what's it's a really interesting read and i i certainly recommend it to all our listeners thank you very much great to talk to you Gal. well that's it for today thank you so much for listening you can find us on the internet at www.internetmarketingpodcast.org where you'll find show notes, links and instructions on how to subscribe. 
we would absolutely love to get feedback, comments and questions from you. If you want to send an email, send it to kelvin.newman at sitevisibility.com. Also, feel free to comment on the website. And if you'd like to use our voice line number, if you're outside of the UK, it's plus four four one two seven three two five six one five oh. If you're inside the UK, it's O one two seven three two five six one five oh. And you can leave a voice comment or question and we'll play it on the show. Also, we would absolutely be delighted if you would give us a, a rating on iTunes itself. Well that's it for now. Andy White signing off until next week on Internet Marketing. What's new in podcasting? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being completely straight mm-hmm. and 10 being completely gay, what number are you? Um. You know, I don't think that you should rank how gay they are. I guess, I, and you know, that's just a little of a red, just a flag for me. Come on, come out. A weekly podcast where real lesbians tell their real coming out stories. You can find Come On, Come Out on your favorite podcatcher out now. Go listen. ACAST, 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 ACAST recommends. recommends.